colors that we meant we find It's a wonderful practice that has the capacity To prevent wrongdoing and to prevent danger It's a wonderful practice that has the capacity To protect self and others and to reveal beauty it's a wonderful practice that is leading to concentration, leading to peacefulness, leading to insight, leading to non-fear. It's a wonderful practice that shows us the way to total emancipation and long-lasting Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, January the 19th in the year 2003, and we are in the Dharma Cloud Temple, Upper Hamlet, during our winter retreat. We have in Buddhism the, the notion of uh, living Buddha. In the Lotus Sutra, it is said that uh, the longevity of the Buddha, the lifespan of the Buddha is uh, boundless, and therefore you can get in touch with the Buddha at any time. The Buddha did not disappear after his uh, so-called death. In uh, Christianity, you also have uh, the notion of the living Jesus. And therefore, uh, for Christians, it is possible to get in touch with Jesus in the here and the now. But the problem remains how, how to get in touch with him. 
In the teaching of the Buddha, it's very concrete. There are very concrete ways of helping you to get in touch with the Buddha, with the living Buddha. The word living Buddha uh, in Chinese is translated by Hoa Phật. And it means something else. It means the Dalai Lama. Translated as living Buddha, but it, it really means uh, the Dalai Lama. So, Fefe, you have an idea as how to translate living Buddha in modern Chinese? Hoạt Phật. Hoạt Phật. Là Đức Lạc, Lạc Lạc Ma, chứ không phải là Đức Thích Ca. She has the whole Chinese dictionary in herself. The computer is working. True Buddha, chân Phật, true Buddha. Thank you, dear. True Buddha. Not uh, well. It's connected to the idea of living Buddha, but it's not the same. When we think of uh, Shakya Muni, we have a notion. That Buddha was born in Kapilavastu. He grew up in his royal family. He got married. He uh, he was not uh, at ease with the kind of life that he uh, he had. He was not satisfied with uh, power, with wealth, with uh, luxuries. So he wanted to to practice to go and practice as a monk in order to uh, to get uh, deep into the truth of reality, and became enlightened uh, at the foot of the Bodhi tree. And he spent forty five years uh, teaching, and finally he died in Kushinagara. That is our idea of Shakyamuni. And is he somewhere? Is he still there? somewhere. And uh, many of us said, yes, he's still there, alive. But the problem is how to get in touch with him. And if you are caught by that notion of the Buddha you have, and then you cannot get in touch with uh, the real, the, the, the living Buddha. It's like in the Bible, after the crucifixion, uh, Jesus uh, rise again, and uh, even his disciples could not uh, identify him. A few of them walked with him for a long time on the road, but did not recognize him as Jesus, until they stopped and stayed overnight in a kind of uh, uh, inn, and they slept together in the same inn, and not only until breakfast, when the disciples saw uh, him breaking the bread, that they could recognize him as Jesus. Jesus looked now, looked now different. So if you are caught by an appearance, and then you cannot recognize the same thing, the same person in other, in other appearances. It's like when you are 
caught by the image of uh, a cloud. And then when the cloud is no longer there, you said the cloud is dead. But you know very well that a cloud can never die. From something, you can never become nothing. From someone, you cannot become no one. That's the truth. So the Buddha must be somewhere there. Jesus must be somewhere there. But how to, how to recognize him, how to get in touch with him, that is, that is our practice. And the Buddhist practice is that you have to learn to look with the eyes of signlessness. Signlessness. Votung. The eyes of signlessness. That means that uh, you have the capacity of recognizing the, the cloud in the rain. You are not caught by the image of the cloud. And that is why you can recognize the cloud in the rain. And you can only do that once you have the kind of eyes that cause signlessness eyes. That is why we have to train ourselves. Every time we pour the tea, we have to be mindful, we have to stay in the here and the now in order to be able to see that this is a, a cloud that is a, I'm pouring from thermos into the cup. This is some other cloud, although the color is different, but it's a cloud anyway. So with the eyes of signlessness, you can recognize that the cloud is here. And if you eat your ice cream in mindfulness, you know that you are touching a cloud. It is possible for every one of us to hold a cup of tea like this and drink mindfully so that we, we know that we are drinking a cloud. It's not difficult at all. And that is not poetry alone. That is life. That is true life. Drinking a cloud, how beautiful and how true. Please drink with me. There is a lot of cloud within. And this morning I said that uh, if we take uh, the cloud out, there's not much left. If you have cold, bring a lot of cloud into. You feel better. Drink a lot of hot water. It's very plain, it's very clear that a cloud can never die. Some, if you are something, you cannot become nothing. A cloud can only be, become uh, rain or snow or ice. A cloud can never become nothing. If you are someone, like a Buddha, like a Bodhisattva, like a politician, like a businessman, like a child, like a parent. You cannot die. It is impossible to die. You can only be transformed in other forms. And you are in the process of transformation. And when you offer your thinking, your speech, and your action, uh, you're offering yourself because that, that is the essentials of your being. And you are continued in other form right now, right here. And when you look at yourself, you say that this is not me. I'm more than this body. I'm more than these feelings. And I sense see me 
around me and into the future also, right in this moment. I don't need the future to come to the present in order to see the future. I can see the future right in the present moment. It is like a, I don't have to go back to the past in order to see the past. If I stay in the present moment and get deep in the present moment, I can see the past. So when you contemplate a cloud, you can see the former life of the cloud in terms of heat, in terms of a river, in terms of ocean. And you can see the river, the ocean, and the heat in the cloud right in this moment. And if you get in touch deeply with the, with the cloud in this moment, you can see already the snow, the rain, the ice. You don't need to wait. You don't have to go to the future in order to see. And that is the, uh, the practice of uh, signlessness that the Buddha recommended. The three doors of liberation. Liberation from what? We are from your ignorance, from your sorrow, from your despair. And these three doors of liberation are emptiness, signlessness, and aimlessness. And today we don't talk about the two others. Even if uh, the notion of signlessness includes emptiness and aimlessness. It is not something metaphysical. It's not something very abstract. It's very clear. If you observe very deeply, you see that a cloud can never die. You cannot reduce a cloud into nothing. A cloud can only become other things like uh, rain, ice, snow, etc. Tea, blood, and so on. So if you have the eye of signlessness, you are not caught in one, in one form, one appearance, and you can recognize. If you have someone who are who is very close to you, and that someone just died. It's very important to learn how to use the eyes of silentness in order to recognize her in her new forms. Because it's impossible for her to die. She's like a cloud. She cannot be reduced to nothingness, to non-being. We fall into the trap of sorrow, of despair, only because we are ignorant. We don't, do not have the eyes of a Buddha. We don't have the eyes of uh, signlessness. So where is Shakyamuni? If you have the eye of signlessness, and then there's no difficulty in encountering the Buddha. The Buddha are there, very close to you, even inside of you and around you. But if you are caught in the, in the sign of Shirakta, Gautama, you have no hope to encounter the Buddha in the here and the now. One day I sat, uh, I sat on a bus, and there are many monks and nuns on the bus. 
we were traveling from Southern California to Northern California. And uh, I had a very young novice uh, sitting close to me in order to offer me some cloud, some tea. <laughs> that is Sư Em Mẫn Niệm. And I asked her, my child, do you think that if the Buddha leaves now time, he would ride on a bus like us? She said, sure. That's uh, our, our means of uh, transportation. The Buddha would, uh, would use a bus also. I think the Buddha will use a computer. And if necessary, a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> The second question I address my, my assistant is that, are you sure that he's not in a bus? And I made her think. Look deeply. Maybe he is in a bus. And that is an invitation for all of you. Don't think that Buddha is far away. It is in you maybe in every cell of your body and sitting next to you, very close. Anything that has the capacity to, to accept, to understand, to love, to forgive, that's very close to the Buddha. And it's not difficult to recognize these factors in our daily life, inside of us and around us. Only the ignorant people are unable to get in touch with the living Buddha. Ignorant here means caught in a sign, in an appearance, in a notion. If we are able to let go of our notions, of our ideas, and then getting in touch with the Buddha is a very easy thing we can do every day. And it's very nice to get in touch with the Buddha. We get a lot of good energy, a lot of uh, freedom, a lot of joy also. So we should try to live, we should manage to live our daily life, our, our minutes, our uh, hours in such a way that we can always be in touch with the Buddha. Take his hand and do walking, meditation. Take a cup of tea with him. This is something that we can do at any time with the energy of mindfulness and concentration. Anything that is alive does not remain the same. Like a tree. In order to be alive, a tree has to to grow. And that is the miracle of impermanence. We should not complain about impermanence. Because without impermanence, how can anything grow at all? If things are not impermanent, and then your daughter can never grow up into a beautiful lady. If things are not impermanent, and then when you sow the seed of corn, the the seed of corn remains the seed of corn forever. You have no hope to have a plant of corn and years of corn to eat. So life means Impermanence. Impermanence make it possible for, for life to be. And the Buddha 
is something alive. The Buddha grow. The Buddha grow. Not only the Buddha grow in the 80 years of his uh, of that lifetime, of that uh, lifespan, but after that the Buddha continued to grow. The Dharma also. If the Buddha is something alive, and the Dharma is also something alive. If you conceive the, the Buddha as, a, as something static, you lose the Buddha. The Buddha is something that is very alive, like the Dharma. That is something very alive. You cannot find the Dharma in a book. The Dharma should be the living Dharma. The Dharma is to come and see by yourself. You cannot listen to the Dharma. They said that, uh, that a Dharma talk, a teaching is like a finger pointing to something like uh, the moon or the lamp. And if you are caught by this sign, this appearance, oh, this is a drama, this is the moon, that is ignorance. And that is why a Dharma talk is not a Dharma. It's not the living Dharma. A Dharma talk, a sutra, is only means in order to help you to see the living Dharma. The living Dharma is a Dharma that grows, like a Bodhi tree. And when I study Buddhism and practice Buddhism, I see the Dharma grow during the time of the Buddha. If you study the sutras, if you study the way the Buddha expounds the sutras and the teaching, you see that the Dharma grow during the time of the Buddha. The Buddha gave uh, hundreds of talks about mindful breathing, and every time the talk is different. Because the Dharma is born from the enlightenment and the circumstances in which uh, the Dharma is given. The Dharma is a kind of medicine that should be prescribed with intelligence. If you don't understand the situation of the patient, you cannot prescribe the right thing to the patient. Understanding the suffering, the difficulty of our society, you know how to prescribe the teaching and the practice that can relieve the suffering. And if you use the teaching and the practice of another time, uh, it cannot heal this society, this environment. And therefore, the Dharma should be the living Dharma. And the living Dharma you cannot put it into box, into tapes, into books, into cassette. In the Buddhist tradition, it is said that the Buddha Dhamma is an indefinite Dhamma, undefined Dhamma. The Dhamma of the Buddha is a Dharma that is not defined. Something it is like this, but something it should be like that.
And that is why the Zen master Chiu Chou gave two different answers to, to two different students of Zen. One time one disciple said, My teacher, does a dog have a Buddha nature? And he said, Yes. <laughs> and then another disciple a few days later came up and said, Does a dog have a Buddha nature? And the same teacher said, No. So the yes is Dharma or the no is Dharma. Because for the first person, the yes will help. And for the second person, the yes can only strengthen his ignorance. So that is why the Dharma should be offered in a very intelligent way. You have to understand the mentality of that person, of that group of person. You have to understand the deep suffering of that person, a group person, in order to be able to offer the right teaching and practice. If there is no understanding of suffering, don't talk about the Dharma. Your understanding of your own suffering and the suffering of your own people is the very foundation of your capacity of giving the correct teaching and correct practice. That is why the Dharma of the Buddha is Dharma that cannot be defined. It can be very flexible. And it always grows. Imagine a Bodhi tree, a Pipala tree. You planted a few months ago. Is this high? It is a real Pipala tree. But a body tree is something that is alive. It will grow up and give more new leaves and branches. And at some time, it can offer flowers or fruit. But no matter whether it is young or adult or old, it is the body tree. You cannot deny. So original Buddhism is Buddhism. Mahayana Buddhism is also Buddhism. Because the Dharma is alive. The Dharma is a living Dharma. And if you try to say that that is not said by the Buddha, but the Buddha did not actually say that, you are caught. Because you have not seen the continuation of the Buddha after Nirvana, Parinirvana, Mahaparinirvana. You have to see the continuation of Buddha in his Sangha. The Sangha has never been interrupted. The Sangha was there during the time of Buddha, and the Sangha continued after the passing away of Siddhartha. And if you are intelligent, you can see Shakyamuni Buddha in Kashyapa, in Rahula, in Shariputra, in Ananda in Nagarjuna, in Vasubandhu, and other patriarchs. Because touching these people, you touch the Dharma, the true Dharma. You touch the wisdom of impermanence, the wisdom of non-self, the wisdom of uh, Nirvana, the wisdom of interbeing. 
if you are not caught by the image of a cloud, and then you can get in touch with the cloud in its new form of manifestation, namely the tea, the ice cream, the snow, the rain, the ice, etc. You don't have to go back to 2,500 years ago in order to meet the Buddha. Meet the Buddha right here and right now, that is something possible, and that is not as difficult as you might have imagined. It is possible for you to take the hand of the Buddha and do work in meditation every day. And it does not need a lot of practice, a lot of effort at all. That is why I would like to, to offer you the notion of the evolutive Dharma. Any teaching, any practice that can help us calm ourselves, see more clearly the nature of interconnection, nature of interbeing, that help us to touch deeply the truth, the, the reality of impermanence, of non-self, of interbeing. Anything that can liberate us from fear, from despair, from hate, from anger, is the Dharma. And it is very easy to remind us that the Buddha Dharma, namely Buddhism, is made only of non-Buddhist elements. Like this flower. What do you think this flower is made of? This flower is made only of non-flower elements. It's beautiful, and yet it has no self. It is made with elements called sunshine, rain, seed, soil, gardener, and so on. All these are non-flower elements. Buddhism is made of non-Buddhist elements. And if you recognize these non-Buddhist elements, if you know how to bring this non-Buddhist element together in a skillful way, you have Buddhism. You are in Africa. You have to use African elements in order to create your Buddhism. You are in Scotland. You have to use elements of Scotland in order to make your Buddhism. You are in America. You should use elements of American culture in order to make your Buddhism. You don't need to bring these elements from Japan, from China, from Tibet, from Vietnam. Because Buddhism has no no fixed identity, no self. Buddhism is evolving. The Bodhi tree is growing. But that does not mean that the Bodhi tree ceases to be the Bodhi tree. 45 years of teaching, that's nothing compared with uh, the time ahead. So the, the Buddha Dharma has a lot of time and space in order to grow. And who are helping the Bodhi tree to grow? All of us, by our practice, our learning, our practice, and our teaching. Evolutive Dharma. I want to propose uh, Tiếng Hoa. 
the combination of phát triển and tiến uh, hóa. Phát triển means developing. And tiến hóa means evol- evolving. Pháp tiến hóa. Or when we want to use the word uh, living Dharma, because we cannot use the Hoạt Phật. That is why I propose Sinh Đồng, Pháp Sinh Đồng, the Living Dharma. And if we can accept Living Dharma as Pháp Sinh Đồng, Sinh Đồng Pháp, Sinh Đồng is something alive, it's moving, it's growing, and not something like in the museum. And then, if the living Dharma is called Sinh Đồng Pháp, the living Buddha should be Sinh Đồng Phật. And of course, we have the living Sangha. The Sangha is truly alive, that is truly alive, not caught in the form, always evolving with society in order to be able to help society. That is the kind of Sangha we need. We need a Sangha that is truly alive, that has the living Buddha inside, the living Dharma inside. If the Sangha has the living Buddha inside, the living Dharma inside, it should be a living Sangha. A living Sangha is very creative. Tăng Sinh Đồng. Sinh Đồng. Sinh Đồng Tăng. Practice in an intelligent way in order not to betray the Buddha and the Dharma. If you are caught in your fundamentalism, you betray the Buddha, you betray Jesus Christ. Because our time, our situation needs change so that uh, the Buddha Dharma can continue to grow and to respond to the suffering that are actual, the suffering of our time that are not like the suffering in the time of the Buddha. In terms of uh, psychology, in terms of uh, society, in terms of uh, technology, everything has changed. And if we, we use the Buddha and the Dharma of the time of Buddha, we cannot meet with the, with the needs of our time. That is why the Buddha should be a living Buddha. During the time the Buddha taught and lived his life, he was very alive. And his Dharma also was very alive. His Dharma was not dogma at all, not rigid uh, doctrines, no. And his Sangha, as well as uh, the Vinaya, the body of precepts, evolved with time. The Buddha. Shakyamuni in his own time is a living Buddha, always evolving. The Dharma in the Buddha time was always evolving, and the Sangha in the Buddha time was always evolving. If you are serious scholars of Buddhism, you have to see that. The Buddha and the Sangha of the first year of, of his ministry is not the Buddha and the Sangha of, uh, of the time when the Buddha entered Mahapari Nirvana. So looking 
only in the period of time 45 years, the ministry of the Buddha, we can see already that the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha are alive, are evolving all the time. And that is why after the Buddha's Parinirvana, if we don't follow that, we betray the Buddha, we betray the Dharma, we betray the Sangha. We have to keep the Buddha alive. We have to keep the Dharma evolving. We have to keep the Sangha evolving. And that is why fundamentalism is our enemy. And those who, who support the fundamentalism, they think they are faithful to the Buddha, to Jesus. But they are, in fact, uh, block the way of evolution. Tiang means uh, developing. Because something is alive, it should develop, like a tree, like our knowledge, our intelligence. Hua means evaluated, evolution. Imagine the first uh, couple of, uh, of men, ape. Imagine the first uh, a couple who lived uh, several million years ago, still naked. They didn't wear anything. The man and the woman, they did not wear anything. Of course, uh, they did not brush their teeth in the morning. Of course, they do not have uh, cosmetic, use cosmetic. They didn't talk much. They did not have a language like we do now. They talk with their eyes, they talk with their hands. They communicate so well, but they, they don't have the kind of language that we are having now. Imagine you are there watching that couple dealing with each other and dealing with the environment in order to try to survive. You see their ways of communicating is very different from, from you. Now you have a lot of language, a lot, a lot of words. And if you try to talk to them, you cannot talk to them. Because they don't understand a word that you say to them. They have not learned the vocabulary uh, that you have. The only thing you can do is to observe and to guess what they are thinking in their mind because they, are, they cannot actually tell you what is going in their mind. 2,600 years ago, our vocabulary is not like today. The Buddha did use many terms, many philosophical and uh, spiritual uh, terms to describe his, uh, his insight. But from that time on, we have created so many sophisticated ways of communicating. And that is now it's very natural to use uh, our new language in order to help make the Buddha Dharma clearer to the people who live in our time. There are terms used in Plumlish that cannot be found in the scripture like Sangha, Sangha eyes, Sangha body. In the scripture, you can see the Buddha body, Buddha kaya. You have uh, the term uh, Dharma body. But now in Plumlish, 
you have the good Sangha body, Sangha Kaya. The Buddha never used this term. You cannot find that term in the original scriptures. But that term is a very Buddhist. It is a new leaf, a new branch grown out of the Bodhi tree. And you have now the capacity to, to offer the Dharma that uh, people 3,000 years ago do not. Because of philosophy, spirituality, language, and other means that are available to us now were not available at the Buddha's time. So if you are intelligent, you have to help the Buddha. You have to continue the Buddha. It's very nice of you to continue the Buddha. It's very kind of you to continue the Buddha in the discovering, in the uh, exposing, and in the, the, the teaching and the practice, which is called Dharma. Not only we have the body of the Sangha, the Sangha body, but we have also the Sangha eyes. In the scripture, there is no Sangha eyes. It's only Buddha eyes, Dharma eyes, Phật nhãn, Pháp nhãn, Thiên nhãn, but no Tăng nhãn. The Sangha eyes is a reality. You have your individual eyes. But you have to surrender your individual eyes to the Sangha eyes because the Sangha eyes is much clearer than your individual eyes. And in our daily practice, we have to try to learn to use the Sangha eyes and not to look at ourselves and look at uh, other people. And looking with the Sangha eyes, we bring a lot of harmony, a lot of happiness to the Sangha. And looking with your private eyes, you cause a lot of suffering. And that is why the Buddha eyes is important, the Dharma eyes is important, but the Sangha eyes is equally important. And the Buddha did not use the Sangha eyes. That does not mean that Sangha eyes did not exist. So a good disciple of the Buddha is an intelligent disciple. That intelligent disciple has to continue the Buddha has to continue the exploration of the revelation of uh, the Dharma. Because the Bodhi tree, when it is young, it has not revealed everything. It needs to come to a certain height in order to reveal other things. Like a plum tree. You cannot expect that during the first year of the plum tree to see the plum blossom and the plum fruit. Now you have to wait until the third year, fourth year, and you begin to see the plum blossom. Twenty years ago, twenty-one years ago, when we planted the plum trees in Plum Village, the plum trees were very tiny, very small. And yet looking with the eyes of the ultimate dimension, I could already see plum blossom everywhere. And we allow the plum tree to, to grow. So Mahayana Buddhism 
is the kind of flowers and fruits that can only be obtained several years after, after original Buddhism. But that is not all, because the tree of the Buddha, the tree of the Dharma, can grow more, grow more and more, and that thanks to our, our practice and our enlightenment. Enlightenment is, is business of our daily life. Every minute, every moment of our daily life has to do with enlightenment. When you drink your tea, and if you see that you are drinking a cloud, you are drinking in the mood of enlightenment, in the fashion of enlightenment. And if you are dispersed, if you talk a lot, and you ignore your tea, then you are not drinking your tea in mindfulness. There is no enlightenment in the moment. And therefore, it is possible to make every moment of our daily life into a moment of enlightenment. And mindfulness make it possible. When you look at things with mindfulness, suddenly you become concentrated on it. And you are concentrated on it, you begin to discover what is deep inside of it. And any, any concentration will bring insight. There's one sentence in the Platform Sutra that impressed Thay very much. The Sixth Patriarch said that, don't think that concentration and insight are two different things. Don't think that first we should have concentration in order to have insight. It's a very interesting statement, and I found it very true. Concentration is always concentration on something that could not be concentration without an, an object. You have to concentrate yourself on something, on your breath, on your step, on your body, on something. And concentration brings insight right away. In the tradition of Mahayana Buddhism, concentration has a name, has several names. Suragama is a name of one concentration. Langyam, Suragama is Langyam, Langyam Daiden. Suragama is one, one concentration. And that is uh, the concentration on the heroic mark of a Bodhisattva. Heroic march of a Bodhisattva. Kyenghan, Jitla Kyenghan. And in the Surgama uh, Samadhi Sutra, you find out that that 100 aspect of the Surgama's concentration. This is not the, the Kinlangyam that people learn in China and in Vietnam. This is another sutra called the Surgama Samadhi Sutra. It's not the, the Surayama Sutra translated by Bakshi Ledin Tham. Because up to now we cannot find the original in Sanskrit. But the Surayama Sutra, the Surayama Samadhi Sutra, we have, we still have the original in Sanskrit. 
And when the Buddha said, everything is impermanent. Votum. He wants to offer impermanence, votum, as a samadhi. Not as a doctrine. Not as an idea, because the idea of impermanence does not help you. Because you can, you can not say, yes, I accept whole. I accept totally that notion of impermanence. I agree with you that everything is impermanent, but that doesn't help you at all. The fact is that you have to use impermanence as your somebody. When you look at yourself, you look at your partner, you look at the flower, you look at the cloud in such a way that you see the true nature of impermanence in all these things, that is samadhi. And that is the only way uh, to help you to liberate yourself. So the the teaching of uh, impermanence, the notion of impermanence, even if you understand thoroughly with your intellect, it does not help. It is the samadhi of impermanence that helps. So when you drink your tea, you drink in such a way that the concentration of impermanence abide in you. When you look at your beloved one, you look in such a way that you can see that she is impermanent. When you think of your bank account, (laughs) you think in such a way that you can see the true nature of impermanence in your bank account. When you think of your health, your body, you look at your body, you think of your body, you look at your thing in such a way that the, the concentration of impermanence is there. And then you'll be able to avoid a lot of suffering, creating a lot of suffering for you and for your beloved ones. It is the samadhi of uh, impermanence that can be liberating and not the teaching on impermanence. The teaching of non-self, answer. Non-self should be a concentration. When you look at him, you look at her, you look at yourself, you see that there's no, no permanent entity in you, and you are him, he is you. Your child is you, you are your child. Your disciple is you, you are your disciple. The, the suffering of your disciple is your suffering. The suffering of your daughter is your suffering. And your suffering is the suffering of your of your daughter, of your disciple. And then that is the the concentration of no-self. Otherwise, if you spend 100 years talking about no-self, does not help at all. And that is exactly what we are doing in our Buddhist Institute, talking about no-self and talking about impermanence. And nirvana, what is nirvana? Nirvana is also a concentration. Nirvana is the nature of no birth and no death. And if you see a wave, you see a flower, you see a cloud, and if you see the nature of no birth and no death in the cloud, in the flower, you are touching Nirvana. Because Nirvana is something very concrete, not an abstract idea, not a promise for the future. Nirvana is not something you are running after and hope to attain after you die. That's not the case. 
Nirvana is our true nature of no going, no coming, no birth, no death. That you can get in touch with in the present moment with your practice of deep looking into yourself, deep looking into what is there in front of you, around you. Suppose Mr. Bush tried to look at Mr. Saddam Hussein with the eyes of no self, of impermanence, of nirvana. And he succeeded to see the nature of impermanence, the, the nature of no self in him and in Mr. Saddam Hussein. He will entirely change his, his policy. But we don't have the hope that he will do that. Because a president is made of non-president elements, namely the people of America. The thinking of the people of America has made uh, their president. So enlightenment should be in the daily life in order for us to have the kind of wisdom. And with that wisdom, we will have a president that can represent really our insight, our inclination toward uh, non-self. toward uh, impermanence, toward nirvana. And if you think that God is on your side and not on the side of the other person, you are wrong. Because God is nirvana. God is non-discrimination. You cannot blame your president, your prime minister. You have elected him like that. The Collective consciousness is like that. The president is our creation. Our government has been created by us. Our insight is like that. Our hope is like that. Our fear is like that. Our anger is like that. That is why our president is like that. But if we look deeply, we change our way of thinking, our way of looking, and then that will be expressed in our way of running our country, running our society. And we shall have another kind of president that is capable of uh, seeing the enemy as someone to be helped. Because helping the enemy to suffer less means to help you to suffer less. With someone who is enlightened like Buddha, there is no enemy. The enemy is uh, wrong perception, craving, hatred, violence. And you cannot kill humans in order to remove these, uh, these elements like violence and hatred and wrong perception. You, you cannot use the guns and the bombs. Using the guns and the bombs, you can only kill human beings. There are better ways. And there must be concrete ways to help remove wrong perception in us and in them in order for peace to, be, to become a reality, a possibility. If you use the bombs, and the guns, you created more anger, more violence. And this anger and violence will come 
back to you one day. That's sure. We know very well that if we sow the wind, we go uh, ripe. Uh, we go uh, get the get the tempest, get the, the storm. And that is why, if we know how to sow the seed of uh, understanding, of compassion, and then uh, we will get the flowers and the fruit of uh, understanding and compassion. The fact is that we are victims of our wrong perceptions, and they are victims of their wrong perceptions also. And with these wrong perceptions, we are making each other suffer, we are killing each other. The way of the Buddha is very clear. Practice looking deeply in order to remove your own wrong perception. And then you'll be able to help him or her to remove their wrong perceptions. And then peace will be possible. We have many things more to say about the evolutive Buddha, the evolutive Dharma, and evolutive Sangha this year. The, the brothers and sisters in the Deer Park and the Maple Forest uh, Monastery are very happy to receive the same Dharma talk the same day. So they will listen to this talk a few hours later. They feel very connected with uh, the community here. So Thay is very happy to, to, learn, to learn that. And thanks to Thay Pháp and, and the brothers of the Hamlet that this has uh, become possible not only for our communities in America, but also in other countries.